The mic is slightly off directly at Heather's mouth. Right there? No, no, no. Move it over toward you. More to the right. Toward you more. That's good. (laughs) Really? Okay. Yeah, believe Maybe Judy should just be our new podcast. I am listening to everything I'm taking. I'm absorbing all of this. I love good sound. I do. I I think we're good. Okay. You guys all sound great. Heather, how are you feeling? Good. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. Hello, Heather Knight. You just heard Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill director Judy Irving giving me indispensable podcasting tips before our latest Total SF. I think I have a new mentor now. I think you do, too. Where has Judy been all this time? Very excited for this incredible parrot-themed Total SF episode. But first, we have some huge breaking news. The next three Total SF movie nights have been announced, and they're for a cause? Yes, Um, Sadly, Adam Bergeron of Cinema SF, our longtime movie pal, um, has had a hard time getting his new endeavor, the Four Star Theater on Clement, off the ground. He sunk a lot of money into rehabbing the really old theater, and it opened in December, but he just hasn't been getting very many people to come watch movies there. It's a rough time for all movie theaters, but particularly this one. So I wrote a column about it. Check it out, sfchronicle.com. And um, you, me, and Tony Bravo are going to host three movies next month to help draw people to the theaters and remind them why it's such a good time to go and get popcorn, it's-its, listen to bagpipers. I mean, who knows what can happen at movie theaters. And what are our three movies? There was a little bit of debate on this because yes. we had we had people vote for the third one on Twitter. And I won. <laughs> So uh, we both agreed on Vertigo. That will be at the Vogue, 7 p.m. April 6th. Be sure to hit a costume shop or maybe your grandmother's closet beforehand. Wear your best 1950s noir-style costume. Um, The costume contest judges, I'm super excited, will be Sister Roma and Honey Mahogany. We will have prizes for the winners and then watch Hitchcock's Vertigo. Then uh, April 13th at 7 p.m. is Princess Diaries at the Four Star. Um, The drag artist Snacks from the Oasis will be there, um, lip-syncing and judging a best tiara contest, so be sure to pull out your best tiara. There will be prizes for that as well. And then we're skipping 420 because they had other events (laughs) for that day. I love that. We're like, can we do 422? They're like, kind of a big night for us. I think you're going to have to go to 427. So on 427, Heather. Yes, 7 p.m. at the Balboa. So I married an axe murderer. This was the poll where I won over your desired outcome of Star Trek 4. Yeah, we had a third movie for people to vote for, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think Star Trek and Body Snatchers split the sci-fi vote which brought you to victory. But you know what? It's a victory for all of us because that was our very first movie night that we did together and it was an absolute blast and it sold out in about six seconds. So I'm glad that we're going to get to bring it back even if I'm wearing a big L on my (laughs) head here. (laughs) Yes, and our buddy Lynn Miller from the House of Bagpipes has agreed to come and play the bagpipes. We hired him for that long ago so I married an axe murderer screening because it features bagpipers and then we liked him so much he's just come back for all of our total sf movies we'll also have trivia and prizes and you can buy tickets for all of these movies at cinemasf.com cinemasf.com get tickets to our movies they're all going to be a great time go to all three they're all going to be a little bit different tony bravo is 
very, very closely involved with this, which elevates everything, makes it all that much more glamorous and cinematic and Hollywood. Um, I'm really excited for this. Also, go check out The Four Star. It is so wonderful. I brought my kids there a couple times. They want to go back. They've turned that second tiny theater into a gallery, art gallery and reception space. They've got bagels. They've got beer. New projection. The screen's better. I just, I think people need to check it out. It's a great community space. And it would be so sad if it went away when it's made all these improvements. Uh, Bad segue, only bad segues on the Total SF podcast. You know what would be a great future movie night, Heather? Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Wild Parrots are in our final four for our official Animal of San Francisco. And in a remarkable bit of synergy, that movie is currently getting a 20th anniversary 4K restoration. So what else could we do except go meet with Judy Irving to talk about parrots and also Sarah Lemarier of Mikaboo.org. I was so distracted by that beautiful wild parrot of Telegraph Hill named Joey, who sat very calmly, didn't squawk at all. Um, super cute. I took about 500 pictures of him on my phone. Yeah, the only quiet wild parrot in San Francisco. <laughs> I think Joey took a vow of silence, which is fine. Just kind of imagine the bird sounds because there aren't any in this episode. <laughs> but we had a really good time. We learned a ton about parrots. I thought they were both really great guests and uh, so glad we got to sit down with them. Yes, we learned a lot about where the flocks are now, how they became so famous, and the best theory, nobody knows for sure, but the best theory for why there are wild parrots of Telegraph Hill in the first place. And remember, on Monday, we get to our final two in the official animal contest. It's looking like parrots might squeak through, but we will see for sure. And vote at sfchronicle.com slash animal month. One more week, and we're going to get the official animal of SF. I'm so excited. I'm Peter Hartlop here with Heather Knight, cinemasf.com to check out our movie nights, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Judy, Sarah, and Joey the Parrot, welcome to Total SF. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Well, we've never had a parrot on the podcast before. We've had dogs and babies. Um, but what is Joey like? Can you, he hasn't spoken yet, so <laughs> in case he remains quiet. He's very chill for a parrot. That's one of the reasons that I thought he might be a good candidate to bring along. He's Some of them can be very skittish. Some of them can be very high energy. And... As flock animals, when you start talking, they want to join in. So I was very much all morning. I was thinking, should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? Like if I bring him, and he wants to join in, it you're trying to record. Right <laughs> so yeah, we brought him along. But he's pretty chill, and if he does get vocal, we can keep him quiet. With lots. I brought a okay. stash of apple slices. So I think the rule is always bring the parrot. <laughs> like if there's a question whether or not to bring a parrot. <laughs> On the Total SF podcast, bring the parrot. Yes. Yeah, Julie noted. Note yeah. to all future guests, feel free to bring your parrot. <laughs> um, well, we're so excited that you're here for Animal Month. Um, parrots are doing really well in our voting. They're in the final four. Yay! Yay! We're, we're thinking they're probably going to make the final two, but it's not official yet, yeah. right? 
yeah, they're very, doing really well. Very excited. I have to say, a bunch of our volunteers are getting, they're very invested in this now. They're <laughs> rooting for the parrots big time. So this is very exciting. Uh, well, first things first, um, we've been swimming in the bay together once, and we hear, Judy, that you are a member of the South End Rowing Club. Yes. Um, what makes you crazy enough to swim in the bay on a regular basis? <laughs> I've never been able to explain why, so I had to make a movie about it <laughs> uh, and explore all the reasons um, why anybody would swim in a cold bay with predators who could kill you. Yeah. Well, I've been doing it for half my life, since the mid-80s, and I'm kind of addicted to it. A lot of people are. Uh, it may not have taken with you guys, but <laughs> it's it's pretty fantastic. And the people that I found for my new movie, which is called Cold Refuge, are dealing with major life challenges like blindness mm -hmm. and paralysis and heavy stress and um, being African-American and being discriminated against mm -hmm. and not being able to swim in open water for many, many years. So. It's what, it, these stories are far more dramatic than mine, mm -hmm. and they're in the movie, um, and they have their reasons why. Uh, cold, open water, ironically, mitigates life's challenges. Wow. It's going to premiere uh, Sunday, April 16th at the International Ocean Film Festival. Oh, congratulations. Which is right here in San Francisco. It's going to be in the 437-seat Cowell Theater at Fort Mason, which is very cool because the Cowell Theater is literally perched on top of the bay yeah. in one of those Fort Mason piers. So it's perfect. Well, since we're talking about animals today, um, what kind of wildlife have you seen when you're out swimming in the bay? Uh, well, <laughs> funny you should ask. I mean, there's never been a shark attack on a human being in the bay, at least as of this recording, okay? Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's knock let's on keep wood. It that way. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But we do encounter harbor seals and sea lions. And I have healthy respect for harbor seals and sea lions mm -hmm. because they have nudged and sometimes bitten swimmers. And I haven't been bitten yet, but it, I could be next. Mm -hmm. So I'm really wary of harbor seals and sea lions. Well, sea lions are the other dominating animal in Animal Month. They are getting a ton of votes. They sound like kind of jerks. I mean, is that <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, one time I was, you know, Aquatic Park, which, which has the curved Muni Pier and then, and then the historic ships on the one side. That's where I usually swim. And I swim out to the opening so that I can see the Golden Gate Bridge. And I have had encounters with uh, sea lions out there. Mm. One time, this big male reared up and opened his mouth and bared his teeth and, <sighs> you know, launched this <laughs> bad breath at me, you know. And then he dove underneath me, and that was a very clear sign. Get out of my territory. Yeah. This is my habitat. This is not yours. You know, so I, you can't outswim them. Mm -hmm. You can panic all you want, but... You just have to slowly swim away. <laughs> this is this is good oppositional research against the sea lions. Yeah. It's like a political campaign, <laughs> you know. I feel like Joey fed you that. It's like a scandal. You know? <laughs> they need a more welcoming mascot, surely, than a big stinky animal with bad breath. <laughs> yes. Right, right. The rowdown. <laughs> 
taking it on. We're taking it on. <laughs> well, happy 20th anniversary to the wild parrots of Telegraph Hill. Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to ask both of you, when were you first even aware of parrots on Telegraph Hill? Because I didn't know about it until... I saw the movie, and I had kind of moved back here in 1999, so I wasn't immersed in this area. But I'm curious when you found out about the parrots. Well, believe it or not, I was swimming in aquatic park, and I heard this noise up above, and I saw the parrots flying over to Fort Mason, right over the water. That's the first time I saw them, and I think it was around 93 or 95 or something like that. And so I started researching, I started looking into it, what are these animals, you know, who knows about them? And Mark Bittner had written an article for uh, Bird Talk magazine. It was in 1995, and he, he told all about the birds, and, but he also said at that time that he was just about to have to leave Telegraph Hill where he'd been feeding them. And I thought, ah, too bad. I, was, I wanted to make a film about this guy, but he's gonna leave right away, so. And then he didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh wrote about our animal month and Mark sent me an email um, correcting me very nicely that I had said that the flock goes to Sunnyvale and it only goes to Brisbane and he's like that's a different flock and then I watched the movie again last night and, and there's a add-on that there are flocks of parrots all over the place this isn't just a San Francisco thing. Uh, I think it's evolved a lot over time so now there are three established flocks in the San Francisco Bay Area there's the San Francisco flock the Palo Alto flock, and then in Sunnyvale, there's another flock. So, uh, but that's evolved. Uh, I've heard stories of a flock in Berkeley and various other parts around the Bay Area over time. I think they were just looking for the best spots mm -hmm. where they wanted to settle down, um, and that's how it worked out. So, but they're not the same. They're, they're slightly different in terms of species and, and numbers. Also, what's really cool about the San Francisco flock is that we have this hybridization between two species of parakeet that would never uh, meet each other in the wild in South America because their habitats are a couple hundred miles apart. Yep. But we have our own little special San Francisco breed of parrot now because they, have, they are a hybrid um, of mitered conure and cherry-headed oh, red-mouthed parakeets. <laughs> <laughs> is this a good habitat? If you're a parrot and you want to start a flock, I mean, is San Francisco generally a pretty good place to be? Generally, it's beautiful, like, but I'm just talking about from the from the survival point of view. I mean, generally, it's pretty sweet. The climate's nice. There's a lot of ornamental fruiting plants and trees, so it's it's a pretty nice place for them to be. The weather's good. I mean, for the same reasons, a lot of people like it. Pirates like it too. And generally speaking, they thrive here. There's only a couple of things that make life a bit harder for them. And those things are, I mean, in Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, there's a very uh, sad point at the end. I don't know if I should spoil it. It's been out 20 years. I don't think, I think you I can, can spoil it 20 years. I don't think I can old. spoil it. Yeah, you can stop and watch it now if you need to. But. <laughs> there's, a, there's a hawk attack, R.I.P. Connor. Um, yeah. But uh, I assume predators, what are, what are some other issues here? Uh, well, the predators are definitely one factor, but that's also part of what keeps the flock healthy. So, you know, they prey on the slow and the weak and the sick and the young. So that's what helps to some extent with keeping the flock in good health. Um, but you know, San Francisco is a busy city. There's a lot of buildings, there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of windows. And so we get the occasional injured parrot that's just had a full on crash into something. Um, they have to do a little bit more acrobatics in the city to you know, keep dodging everything as they're um, going around the city. 
Um, so that's one of the challenges for them. Um, the other big challenge, though, unfortunately, is rat poison. So a lot of the birds that we see that come in sick or injured, um, they're showing classic signs of exposure to bromethalin, which is a neurotoxin. So they're really wobbly and they can't stand up properly. And that's the other thing which, which can be a, a risk to them. And you said that's what happened to Joey? That's what happened to Joey. Yeah, I mean, he's got a mild case of it. I don't think he had ingested much at all because generally speaking, he's, he's a lot more robust than some of the cases we've seen. Um, you know, he doesn't need a lot of modifications and he's, you know, robust enough that I could bring him here today and not worry about him struggling. Um, but some of them are much more, I mean, some of them, uh, obviously <coughs> half of the ones we, we get taken in don't make it. And there's obviously a lot which um, never even get to the shelter. So, um, yeah, we see about 10 to 15 parrots a year coming in through the shelter. And the majority of them have these wobbly um, signs of exposure to bromethalin. How has the flock changed since the end of the movie? Has it gotten bigger or smaller? Okay, since the end of the movie, um, I think there were about 85 birds at the time 20 years ago. And now... I'm going to turn it over to Sarah, who just did a very recent count. Yeah, I think we're up to about 220 oh, to wow. 230. We did, we got a really good count a couple of winters ago where we managed to get a snapshot of them before they took off in the morning. And in winter, they're in bare trees. So you can just kind of group them up in blocks of 10 and get a pretty accurate count. And 220 was what we got out of that. There was probably a couple wandering off somewhere already, but you know, 220 I think is pretty accurate. And actually, according to the Golden Gate Audubon Society, uh, they do the Christmas bird count every year. So they have numbers uh, over the years. And they've held pretty steady around 220 for the past five or six years. Mm -hmm. So they might be at the carrying capacity. I don't know. What does that mean? Like that means, like, uh, how much food is there out there uh -huh. for them? How many nest holes are there for them? Um, they're not growing exponentially at all. Yeah, they're not taking and, over the city. And they've actually grown. <laughs> That's too bad. That would be cool. Yeah, they've actually grown very little in 20 years. Yeah. Well, as residents, we've seen a lot of changes since um, 2003. Have things changed for the parrots, would you say, in San Francisco? Well, they're creatures of habit. <laughs> um, I mean, they're, I don't know that they're spending as much time on Telegraph Hill anymore. That's probably... One right. Yeah. We, um, Mark and I uh, live on Telegraph Hill next door to the cottage where he lived in the oh, movie. Cool. Yeah, we were able to get another ramshackle shack right next door. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there used to be five big Monterey cypress trees there that the parrots loved to hang out in and to stash their babies in. They're, they're in the movie. Um, it's where the little ones get fed. Well, those have all been cut down. So we get a lot few, fewer parrots perching around where we live. Uh, they've also expanded their range since 2003. Mm -hmm. Mark and I thought, <clears throat> they'll never cross a freeway. <laughs> well, they've crossed 101, they crossed 280 to get to Brisbane, huh. you know, to get the, the red berries that they love. And so, they're, they're continually surprising us. We've sort, we sort of watched over the years as they got to time, Diamond Heights 
and then further down and, and, and finally to Brisbane. They once landed in my tree in my backyard in Glen Park, and I was so excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just depends yeah. what's in season. You know, like they, they're locals now. They know where to go, what time of year, what to find. So they're going to change their foraging habits depending on what there is available at any time of year. So right. you'll see them all over now. They figured it out. You answered my Brisbane question, because not to dump on Brisbane, but I don't think of it as a destination place. But it's the berries. It's the food. It's the food. food sources. Yeah. It's the food. All yeah. parrots are all about food. Yeah. Everything's, <laughs> when is the next meal? When are we going? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, my favorite part of Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill is um, probably that little, uh, it's almost a montage of all the myths of how they got here. A parrot truck crashed and, (laughs) you know, an older socialite who hoarded parrots (laughs) died and let them go. What are the wildest theories you've heard and what is kind of the, you know, is there there an established or a, a proved of theory? Well... Yes, there are nine urban legends in the Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. And I think my favorite, uh, being the furthest out, is that they sh- escaped off of a ship, uh-huh. a, a ship from South America. I, I, I think that's highly unlikely. You know, and I think the most likely one is uh, told by Jamie York in the movie who owned used to own a bird store. He said that, a group of parrots that were being delivered to his shop, Uh, the guy left left one of the doors open and on the cage and they escaped, they flew out. And so, but other people just released them because they're so noisy. You know, they would get them as pets, but they were wild caught birds. They didn't want to be in a cage. Like citizens of San Francisco, they're immigrants to the city and they really they really love their freedom and so they would squawk all day long and so I think a lot of people just opened the window and let them go oh wow please don't do that by the way no yeah. don't do that <laughs> don't do that no and then they befriended each other and then they found each other yeah um <clears throat> uh, a, a woman who used to live right off of the crookedest street the Lombard mm-hmm. She saw the first group of about maybe six parrots, um, and we, we, we talked to her, and Mark figured out that they, they must have started around, God, I forget what year, 93, something like that. Early 90s. Hmm. Yeah, early 90s. And then they gradually, you know, they're so noisy, you've heard them, <laughs> that if any other birds escaped or were released... They might hear the flock flying by, and then they would join. So, and 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 then they started breeding uh, in the city. At first, Mark didn't think they were capable of that, but they were, and they did. (laughs) Well, there's 220 now, so. And there's 220 now. How often do you see the birds, Judy? Do you still see them at your ramshackle cottage? uh, Pretty often, yes. They'll fly over over the top, and they're on their way somewhere else. and I see them flying around here in North Beach, Telegraph, uh, you know, right by the Washington Square Park. Sometimes they, they perch there in the stone pines. So, yeah, they, they have uh, smaller flocks, like 40 or 50, even though there's maybe 220 total. But they love to, it seems like they like to fly around in smaller 
groups. Right? Yeah, some of the families have teamed up in a little subflux, and so you'll see them in the morning. Like if you go and watch them at sunrise, they'll start doing warm-up laps when they wake <laughs> up. They'll start vocalizing, and it's actually a really nice time to watch them do like a, a group formation flying display. And then you'll see groups like get really vocal and then they'll take off, and that's them for the morning. Like they're off to go get breakfast. Right. And then Sue, the next group will do it, and the next group, and then they're all gone. Yeah. Um, Sue Bierman Park uh -huh. is where a lot of them sleep at night. Yeah. 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 So if you want to go at dusk, you can see them coming in and hassling each other and playing in the trees. And then at dawn, you can see them doing what Sarah just described. How did Mikaboo start? Mikaboo started 25 years ago when a lady who was working as a vet tech at a vet hospital um, got really concerned that there was, there was no rescue for small birds. So she would see a lot of people coming in with little cockatiels. Um, and they were choosing to have them put down instead of getting them treated when there were options to treat them and they had many years ahead of them. They just needed antibiotics and a bit of care. But these poor birds were getting euthanized and um, so Tammy um, joined up with another volunteer and they started this cockatiel rescue and they both had a cockatiel each. One was called Mick, one was called a boo. And because they're very creative people, <laughs> they put that together and called it Mikaboo. Uh, that was 25 years ago, and uh, now it's expanded to not just a cockatiel rescue, but taking in all kinds of birds from little finches and canaries all the way up to macaws. Yeah. And we include the wild parrots in that as well. So that's my, um, well, I, I, I shouldn't really have a bias because I'm running the whole organization, but I do have a soft spot for the wild parrots. Well, the film's being restored, I understand. Yes. So tell me about that. I mean, what, what are you doing to it? What needs to be done to it? I just watched it last night. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, so. good. Glad you watched it. Yeah, I'll That's watch great. it a third well, time, the, I'm the sure. The film um, was shot on 16-millimeter film way back when. I was sort of the last documentary filmmaker standing, still shooting film, you know. And, and there's... A, there's you're in the film with your equipment, and I was like, yeah. whoa, that's... <laughs> yeah, this really old-style equipment yeah. Uh, yeah. and a Claire NPR. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so it's in standard definition. It's 4 by 3 and um, it, was, it was sort of going down the tubes of standard def movies where Netflix was saying, okay, we're not going to run standard def anymore, and iTunes the same. So we got this idea that we should... Um, remaster the film and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Film Archive donated a fantastic scan a 4k scan of every single frame wow. in the movie meaning that it was a high quality digital image of every frame of negative that actually went through the camera 219,000 frames wow. but it's it's thrilling because uh, I think I sent you guys a link to the to the five minute uh, main title intro scene 4K. It's the color is so vivid and the saturation is so deep from the 16 millimeter negative. It's really going to be a thrill to re-release this film, and uh, I'm also thrilled that Rocco Films, Annie Roney, they're based in Sausalito. They're going to take it on and distribute it once cool. as soon as we're done. Yeah, it does look good. It's cleaner than the original because we cleaned up artifacts in the original that right. were never, like they were always there. So yeah, know. dust that was in the that got onto the negative from the camera, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. it's going to be good. We're going to do a we have to do a gala 
uh, opening too in San oh, yeah. Francisco somewhere before it goes to streaming. So any ideas? Let me know. Oh, well, we got a few. I, you know, I mean, the Balboa and Four Star we love, but um, the library too. The library is a wonderful place to screen a film, and people don't know it. The Corette? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it's lovely there. Yeah. I watched the film again. It had been 20 years. I've changed. I've had two children. You know, one of them's about to go to college since I first saw it. But San Francisco's changed too. And I'm wondering if you feel like the movie plays a little bit differently now after this passage of time. You tell me what you think because I haven't watched the film in a really long time. <laughs> She's been looking at it this close up. Yeah, I've been looking at it frame by frame, but you tell me what thoughts you had. I, I felt a sense of nostalgia. Um, I, I love San Francisco now. Heather and I explore it and we you know, champion it, but there are things that are different now. Um, definitely, I felt like um, watching it, watching Mark, watching him get that little cottage and the generous people who live above him, watching how people react to him, I don't know that that could happen now. And I, that's how I felt watching it. I'm like, I don't know if 20 years later you could have this kind of magical situation. So I felt a little bit nostalgic for that San Francisco. Um, I also was really thrilled and it really connected with me. Now, even as we're doing this official animal um, project, how much the birds remind me of a lot of San Franciscans I love. Uh, Non-native species, eccentric, uh, stubborn, (laughs) colorful, and and making it work. And that's something I love about San Francisco and San Franciscans for generations. And the parrots really, it, it struck me even more this time how much of a metaphor they are for, for us. I mean, San Francisco is this breathtakingly beautiful, vibrant, fun city. It needs a mascot that reflects all those qualities. And what better mascot than the wild parrots? Also, sea lions are up and down the coast everywhere. And yeah. the San Francisco parrots, they're unique to the city. And they're always going to be here. I think they're the perfect mascot, and they don't smell. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you to Joey. He was a very quiet podcast guest. Uh, Well, he he does have a little message, which is just that um, we have 20 of his friends stuck in the hospital who need foster homes. So if anyone thinks they might have it in them to learn uh, a little bit about what's involved in looking after a wobbly parrot like Joey, um, we need more foster homes and, and a little bit of support because the, um, the vet bills are racking up. How so. can people help out or offer? Uh, you can go to Mikabuta.org and we have a volunteer page and a donation page and um, we have a free breaker class. So even if you just like birds or you have birds already, um, you, can go to, you can go to our free bird care class and learn a bit more and join our community. But it's, yeah, I'm always conflicted because I don't own any parrots and I don't think parrots should be pets. I'm very much for wild parrots, but there is a lot in circulation already that just need good homes. So, so Mikaboo, M-I-C-K-A-B-O-O dot org. Yep. And Judy Pelican Films. Pelican uh, Media. Pelican Media dot org. And they can find out about your new film. Yes. And they can see the trailer on the website there. And also there's a link to buy tickets at the International Ocean Film Festival for um, Cold Refuge. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And you have a Pelican film as well, which Pelicans, I'm sorry, they didn't make it to the I final know. four. <laughs> I was sorry too. But people can still watch the film. Yes, the, the fil- that film is out there on Amazon and I think iTunes as well. And then uh, the standard deaf version of Parrots is, is on Canopy if you have a library card. But wait for the 4K because it's yeah. going to be really beautiful. I really want to see Roco it in 4K. I want to see it in a theater with a crowd. That's yes. one thing I've never done. And I think it was one of the first screeners I got. That was my first year as a movie critic. So I don't think I've seen it in a theater. Oh, yeah. I'd love to do that, too. That'd be super fun. <laughs> well, maybe we'll see you there. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That was great. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Thank you so much.